right now in the DFW area, about 300,000 is first time home buyer price point. It's just, it blows my mind. I had to go find a hard money lender or a private money lender that I could say, look, I've got a $40,000 down payment. Can you come to the table with everything else I need? Now listening to the Real Estate Heavyweights Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life, and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines. How's it going? It's Ashton Hines, the... Better looking half of the real estate heavyweights. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tavis has got me. Yeah, it's Ashton Hines, Tavis Westbrook, the real estate heavyweights. Uh, how are you doing, Tavis? I'm doing well. Good morning, everyone. Well, good morning to you. Uh, the unseen superhero that is helping us out is Josh Miller. He's uh, helping us produce a little bit as we get started. And so he's he's going to be riding the levels a little bit and uh, helping us get the recordings going. And, and to that end, we're doing everything we can to get two episodes a week out. We, we hope that you caught our Friday episode where we kind of hit on the news and pop culture and, and kind of light touch on some real estate topics. And then on our Tuesday release, we're calling it Real Estate Heavyweight University. And this is our deep dive into the nuts and bolts of real estate. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, real estate investing and we'll talk about the the finer points of buying and selling a home from a retail standpoint as a realtor. This is where we're going to get into topics. If you're a professional, if you are looking to invest, this is your spot. So definitely subscribe to uh, these videos, our channel. Uh, we're throwing it out on all the, the podcast platforms. So look at us there. We're on YouTube. So find where it makes sense for you. And if you can subscribe and, and pass it on to somebody, we're really trying to spread the word. Tavis has a ton of knowledge and I can hold a conversation. So we are doing everything we can to teach y'all uh, real estate. Tavis has, you know, hundreds of homes, literally over 200 homes flipped. He's been in the business since 2004 as, a, as an agent. I've been in the game for a little over two years. I'm working on my fourth flip right now. So I, I, I have the newcomer uh, point of view. I, I've made a lot of the newbie mistakes very recently. I, I'm still making them. And Tavis is there to help me out, try to become a little bit more efficient and that sort of thing. So today we are going to start our deep dive into the world of investing. And we are going to go down the pathway of flipping because that is the world I'm in. I'm working on my fourth flip. Tavis has flipped a ton of homes. There's all sorts of investing out there. Uh, Tavis, you know, he's done some commercial and he'll talk about that eventually. But why don't we get started, Tavis? Why don't we start with from like a thousand foot view and we're just talking to a, a normal guy on the street. We, we, you get approached a ton. I've had several of my friends who are just interested in investing. They got a little bit of money. They want to learn about investing. Let's talk about some of the options for just your everyday Joe that wants to get involved in real estate investing. Well, good morning, guys. And um, yeah, what, a, what an amazing topic this is. Um, I started focusing on flipping primarily with the REO boom, uh, real estate owned properties. 
those are properties that were foreclosed and bought back by the bank um, after the crazy crisis that we had in um, 2006, 7, and 8. So in 2009, kind of focused um, our mindset on uh, on buying up REO property. Um, originally uh, facilitated other investors, and I basically played the broker hat along with designer and GC eventually. Um, and then in basically 2011, partnered up with a guy, and uh, we started basically uh, facilitating flips ourselves from that point on and uh, did that up until 2018 and then uh, decided to kind of take everything in-house uh, solo and and kind of run my own operation uh, after that point in time. So here we are. But one of the big things to think about, and this is just setting your mindset up uh, when we're talking investment real estate, Flipping is an avenue that can be used for annualized income. So if you think about it from selling real estate or even your your W-2 job, for instance, basically that's what, that's what the differences are. So flipping is a way to uh, basically gain cash flow by buying the property, renovating the property, selling the property, and, and making a profit and, and repeating that. Right. The idea is how many times can you repeat that in a year to get the annualized income and holding a property or, you know, rental properties, for instance, is more designed for long term wealth building. And you're getting the cash flow and appreciation and principal buy down over the years. So in order to build cash flow up to a point where you have an excess of cash flow, where you can start investing in properties to keep and hold. Uh, flipping is a great avenue to do that, right? Uh, we'll talk another episode about wholesaling, but wholesaling can be done as well, similar to flipping in the sense that it is used as a way to get cash flow. And uh, in fact, that's what a lot of infomercials and things like that talk about, like how you can make money with no money. Um, that's kind of the wholesaling technique. That's for another episode. But today we're going to talk about flipping and starting the process and kind of where you start learning and, and where you start looking for opportunities. Um, so, you know, the first thing would be is just kind of educating yourself on what what a flip looks like um, and identifying a few things. So uh, what you need to identify is one of the most powerful things to identify is your buy box. What you know, kind of capital are you working with? Where are you going to get capital? What's that price point look like that you need to buy the property in? And what, what is the price point you need to sell the property in? So does that mean that you're um, selling properties, you know, in the $300,000 price point, which right now in the DFW area, about 300000 is first time home buyer price point. It's just, it blows my mind to think that because when I bought my home in the home I'm living in now in 2004, I think we paid 158,000 for it. And the idea of spending $300,000 on home was just, it was a pipe dream. It was like, what, you know, it's what rich people do. Um, <laughs> so now the fact that first time home buyers are paying $300,000 for a home in today's interest rates at seven and a half to 8% is just mind boggling, but that's where we're at. So anyways, identifying the buy box, meaning um, what's the ARV, 
or the sales price in which that property is going to sell for. And then identifying what your budget's going to allow you to buy. So if you work backwards from that, for instance, we kind of call it layers on the cake. So if a property's worth 300000 then your cost of sale, if you're selling the property, um, if you're a licensed agent, typically could be somewhere around 5%, um, because you're not going to pay yourself 3% to, to list it. But if you're unlicensed and you need to hire somebody like Ashton or myself to represent you, then your cost of sale is going to be about 8%. So the cost of sale is, uh, 3%, uh, goes to the buyer's agent, 3% goes to the seller's agent. Now we'll say that loosely because of that controversy that's going on, that big case, the cast, uh, class yeah the, the class action lawsuit like you to say that's always <laughs> negotiable um, yes so um, 3% but hypothetically let's say all right so three percent and three percent and then typically one percent we allow for uh, tax prorations and closing cost and then one percent typically is the title policy owner's insurance title policy so that's kind of where that those numbers add up and that's something to learn if you're just selling real estate in general or traditional real estate a lot of people look at the gross spread, right? They, they look at a sense that, for instance, you buy a property for 200000 you can sell it for 300000 Somebody says, oh, you make 100000 right? Well, quick math off of that, 8% times 3 is 24000 So that means that the net to seller is 3, I'm sorry, 276. So it's 276 minus 200. So essentially, you're looking at netting $76,000 if you did no work at all. Okay. So now you have to look at it and say, you know, how big's the house? So, you know, if the house is, you know, 2,000 square feet, a 2,000 square foot house, average cosmetic only renovations right now are starting at about $30 a foot and going up from there. It could be $35 a foot. Okay. So if you use that math, for instance, and let's say it's $35 a foot, $35 a foot times 2000 is $70,000. So now let's go back to the drawing board. So at 300,000 cost of sale is 8%. You're at 276. It's going to cost you $70,000 in renovations. That means your net profit is $6,000. Woohoo! <laughs> right? It's a lot of time and money that's going to go into that project to not only buy it and where are you coming up with the $200,000 plus the renovation. So now you need to, you know, find your money of $270,000, right? To buy this property and renovate it and only make $6,000. So what does that mean? Well, that means that you need to buy the property cheaper than that, right? So you have to determine for that time, effort, and money, what kind of yield are you looking to make? There's some people out there that say across the board, I've got to make $20,000 or I want to make $30,000. And it could be used as a good rule of thumb. But the, the equation is some people will say, I've got to make twenty dollars or $30,000 no matter what the deal is. But now if you start talking that we've got to buy a deal at $700,000 and we're going to put $200,000 into it, and we're going to sell it for 1.1, 1.2 million, $20,000, dollars isn't worth doing that, right? There's no way in heck that it's worth doing that because your cost to carry that note is probably close to $10,000, $11,000 a month 
when you start playing in that game. Okay. Yeah. So it's important to just real. Sure. I'm sorry. Let me just interject there too, because that is a big difference between. So if you're going to flip and, um, how I went about it was I basically, I found a house that I wanted to buy and I had to figure it out. So a lot of times people are going to say, well, I've got 50 grand I can play with. I've got $200,000 I want to put to work or whatever. And so that does affect a little bit about how you're going to do it. So let's say you have, let's say you have, well, I have an investor friend. He's got a a handful of cash that he wants to put to work and he's totally fine with not, he doesn't want to be leveraged. Leverage means using banks money, other people's money, paying interest for it. He's going to put all his money into a deal, 100% cash. So let's say it's a $300,000 house and then a $100,000 renovation. He's going to allocate $400,000 of his own money to do it all, but he's not paying any interest. It's high risk in that you're, you're putting a ton of your money out. And if something goes wrong, it's your money. But it's also, you know, you're not paying the interest. And a lot of people actually don't think it's risky because you're not leveraged. Now, I only had $40,000 that I could use that was I had access to. It was 401k money. And so I knew I had to leverage money. I had to go find a hard money lender or a private money lender that I could say, look, I've got a $40,000 down payment. Can you come to the table with everything else I need? And that's what I did. And so I found a hard money lender. I put my 40,000 in, it secured the loan to, to get this house. And then on my other, subsequently I have some of my money. I have a private money lender that helps get hard money. There's ways to massage it, but basically you, the more leveraged you are, the more other people's money you're, you're using in this world, it's pretty expensive money. It's 10%, 11%, 14% money. And so you have to, your timeline has to uh, be able to absorb that money. And so if you're going to hold a property, let's say five months, and you you need to pay $2,000 a month to just service that loan, and now your $10,000, just an interest, well, that comes out of your net. And so on the front end, you have to know, how am I going to go about this? I'm going to go ahead and subtract the 10 grand from that, and I'm still penciled to make thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Uh, and so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to interject that Tavis, because that's kind of how I've had to go about it. No. And, and that's, and I'm glad you added that, right? Because you, you've done really well at taking action. And I think that's, you know, one of the big things. So, I mean, people that are listening to this, you know, ideally people that listen about 10% will actually take action and do something about it. And only having $40,000 to work with and the fact that it was in your 401k, but saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to risk that and I'm going to go, you know, exercise this $40,000 and, um, and, and put it to work in this new endeavor, you know, look for an opportunity and exercise these funds into the deal. And the fact that you've done four now with that strategy or that you're, you're in the process, your fourth one is amazing. So, I mean, kudos to you with that because my journey was a little different and, um, you know, I didn't experience a lot of different opportunities with, with different money. In fact, I, I still to this day, I've never dealt with hard money or private yeah, money crazy. for that factor. Right. Um, and it was just because my journey went a different direction with different yep. mentors that I had. And we were able to kind of go into, um, you know, bank leverage, if you will, 
to borrow money. Um, you have a good line of credit through your bank, basically. Like that's a, there's a there's tons of ways to go about it. I use private money, which is crazy expensive. Tavis has slowly built, so he has a great relationship with his bank, so he can yep. borrow the money to do these things through a bank loan. It's not necessarily his cash, right? So it's it's not that, but it's also not hard money. I'll argue with you though in the the expensive part of the money because I think if you couple it with speed. Your the strategy with hard money or, or private money is can be very effective because in some cases very it's much. it's looked at like bank financing for instance is annualized right and and hard money for the most part is annualized as well in some cases I know you've done some private money where you guarantee somebody ten percent on their money right and so that can be a bigger chunk because regardless of how fast it takes if you borrow a hundred grand you owe that person ten thousand dollars right. Right. And if you're doing a flip and you're only going to make twenty, thirty thousand dollars on the flip in gross, and you're giving up ten, ten thousand uh, dollars, you know that's a big chunk, right? But on the other side, if it's a ten percent um, yield per year, and you know it's a hundred thousand dollars, you know that would essentially be ten thousand per year divided by twelve, right? Is essentially right. what you'd be paying on that money. So you know n- nine you know, nine, whatever it is, uh, probably around 900 bucks a month or something Less like that. Less than a thousand, more than 500. Yeah. <laughs> this is my math. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say that you can get in and out I'm of that, that property good. as a novice. So let's say it takes you six months. So it's six months, you know, at nine times six, right? Um, so it's going to cost you, you know, 5,400 bucks, right? So at, at the end of the day, $5,400 now is much more attractive than paying somebody a solid 10% cash on cash. So, mm-hmm. you know, now, mind you, you have points up front, too. So you're going to pay a couple of those points. It might cost you $3,000 up front and then, you know, another 5000 and change or something like that. But anyways, it's good to talk about these things. I don't want to get too deep with the financial part just because I sure. think it's important, but... There's lots of different strategies here to talk about how you fund yep. a deal. Um, yeah, and we can go that, that just a real quick. The point, I didn't know this for a long time, but when somebody, hey, there's a point. It's one percentage point. That, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a percentage point of the number. So it's two, $200,000 loan, one point up front. That's a one percent um, against it. That's 2000 bucks, right? Or three point origination fee or two point. Mm-hmm. That, so just so you know, I didn't know that early on. You're going to talk to hard money lenders. They're going to say our rate, 10% annual, one, por- one point to get started, whatever. That's what you're going to hear. So you just kind of know what you're getting into on that. Exactly. Yep. Um, so nevertheless, I mean, understanding where the money is going to come from is obviously a big piece of the puzzle. And then understanding what kind of money you need to get out of it is the other big piece, right? And then if you kind of work backwards, as I said before, using that same scenario I talked about before of a $300,000 ARV, backing out the cost if somebody's pitching you the deal at 200,000, you know, in essence it sounds like a good deal, but not if it's going to cost you $70,000. And what most people do is they get into the deal and they're like, "Well, we just need to cut rehab." Right? We're not going to be able to do it for $70,000. We really need to do the rehab for 50,000, and that right there is a no-no. Don't ever go into a deal with that mentality. Uh, because the reality is that number is going to run. And if you don't finish something or you leave things undone, that's the finished product that the consumer is going to see. And 
they're not going to buy the house and you're not going to get mm-hmm. 300,000, right? You're going to have to take a discount. And when you start discounting your back end price from 300 to 290 to 270 to to, you know, 60 whatever, yeah. Those are big chunks of money that is a completely different mentality that people have as listing agents to say, "Oh, we'll just do a price reduction, no big deal." When you're doing mm-hmm. a price reduction as a flipper or as an owner investor, those are huge numbers that change your bottom line and will completely yep. sabotage your deal if you don't have your numbers right. So and that's where you have to be honest with yourself. You, if you're if you're an agent or you're working with an agent, you have to be really honest with yourself up front. And this is one thing you're good at is that you kind of aim low. I've noticed um, you you shoot on the other you, you you're not overly optimistic on ARV after rehab value when we're researching the neighborhood. Yep. And the thing you you know you want to do is you want to find a house that's close by and that's been renovated that's hopefully a really good comp that you can say like look if we did our house like this and and we finished it similarly we could expect for it to to make this much money and then you kind of back off that a little bit and you're pretty hard on the, okay, yeah, it backs up to the street. Does it, you try to buffer that a little bit. If you have an agent or your mindset is like, man, I just need to get a deal. And you go with a, a wholesaler that's, you're kind of believing how much their rehab estimate is and how much they think that it could sell for. They go on the, you know, sprinkles and rainbows and sort of unicorn walking across the front yard type situation where if everything goes right and you find a guy that just needs work and he can do it for cheap, you could probably make it work out. Do not do your math that way. You want to be extra critical on the front end and it may, you pass up on some deals. Now you can't be so critical that you're just passing deals for three years. And a lot of people just say, you know, they never get in the game. There is a balance there, but you have got to build in enough buffer, especially early on. Cause you're going to make mistakes. I made tons of mistakes. I've had to do plumbing twice, electrical twice. I screw up, you know, reorder this, blah, blah, blah. Like you're going to make mistakes. So you need to build in that buffer early on. You're someone like Tavis, who's really efficient. He knows how much his guys cost on certain, on, on, on the flooring and everything else. He can very greatly accurately uh, estimate rehab costs and we'll get into that. But when you're early on, you have got to buffer it and uh, be careful about overestimating your after rehab value, underestimating how much it's going to cost to do the rehab, underestimating how long it's going to take, because you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble if you do that. You know, again, knowing your numbers is a big part of it, but some of that will will come as you're doing it. I would say the other pieces that you've got to do is figure out your team, right? So you've got to know who your team is. You've got to know, is it a GC that you know and trust and have checked references and feel really good and established about this background and what they can do? And, you know, for instance, with Ashton, you had a GC in the beginning on a couple of lipstick jobs that did really well. And you were nervous about putting them onto what I would consider a tier two um, level renovation, which we can get into that further in, in another episode of defining uh, projects. I, I came up with this tier system years ago. And just to kind of give you a high level, it's tier one, tier two, tier three, and then basically like a tier four, a tier four would be a tear down rebuild or a new build. Okay. Nevertheless, like you've done a couple tier ones and then now you're into more of a tier two, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you didn't have the team or the GC to support a tier two project. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, one of the great things is that you are, be, 
you know, learning to kind of become a GC yourself. And that may or may not be a great long-term plan for you, but at least now you're learning those steps to where you'll have better identifiers going forward on, you know, if you hire another GC of what's to be expected or, or at least talking the language, the language and the lingo to know mm-hmm. that they actually know what's up. Um, yep. So, you know, that's the other big factor that most people miss. And I, I would say that I've heard it, you know, more times than not that people say, well, you know, I, I've done a couple handyman things or I've, I've worked on my own houses or I'm really handy and I'm really good or I'm really good with doing this or that. And I enjoy it. And that's great. I mean, and maybe that's something that works for somebody, but it, the biggest issue with that is time. So you have to mm-hmm. look back on that issue. If you're going to take on the project yourself and you're the, you're the main guy doing the work, it's going to take you 10 times longer than it will for me. Right. That's leveraging mm-hmm. it through other people. And ideally it may not really cost you less. Now you're saving labor cost still going to cost you the same in material, maybe even more because you, you may not know all of the ins and outs or where to buy material or things like that. I mean, for instance, mm-hmm. um, certain things at Home Depot or Lowe's is 30, 40% higher than what I buy it for. On the other hand, some things have gotten more in line. Uh, doors and trim, I think, are pretty much neck and neck with Home Depot and Lowe's, but that wasn't, that used to not be the case. I think it is right now because they're getting more competitive, but especially after COVID and all the supply chain issues. But uh, nevertheless, it's kind of identifying that. And then uh, the other piece is where do you find the deal? So the million dollar question is where do you find the deals, right? And so, you know, it can be, you know, anywhere. Uh, friends, family, relatives, neighbors, you know, driving down the street, seeing something, uh, people that chase ambulances or, or fire trucks, right? Look for burnouts, look for things like that that happen. People that are in the insurance business or appraisal business come across deals and see things that need to be done. Uh, roofers, connecting with different roofers that um, are interacting with homeowners and maybe they see a roof that's in really bad shape and the homeowner doesn't have insurance or they don't have a way to fix it or they don't want to fix it and maybe the rest of the house is in really bad shape. So connecting with all these different peep, peep, uh, pieces of the puzzle where people that are involved in real estate some some way, shape, or form, other real estate agents, and then, of course, then you've got the wholesalers and things like that. Wholesalers, though, it's, it's really important you to understand, and I wholesale myself, and, in fact, Ashton, you've bought deals from me, but it's really important to understand that the wholesaler works for themselves. The wholesaler does not represent you. They don't care about you. At the end of the day, they, they, they're selling a property to you to make a profit. And so if their projection is off and you don't do the d- diligence to challenge that, then that's unfortunately falls back on you. Um, yeah. And a lot of different companies out there um, you know, will basically quote rehab. They will quote um, comps. They will provide you with the information, and you may not have a way to challenge that or go back and look at MLS comps and challenge it yourself. But it's important for you to get those relationships where you can um, to really dial that in, right? I'm more of the kind of wholesaler that I put out an ARV that I feel very confident with, and I put out an acquisition price that I feel like is enough yield or spread 
to where you can do renovations and make a profit, right? The difference is I might want to make $50,000 profit on the deal and I decide to wholesale it to where there's still enough profit in for somebody to make 30000 and I'll make $20,000, right? Mm-hmm. And there's people out there that say, hey, that meets my buy box. I'll, I'll do it and make 30000 right? Um, and especially in a timeline that makes sense for them. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, you have to understand wholesalers are basically marketing companies. You know, they, all the people that you're seeing, you know, flyers will buy your house. All the cold callers will buy your house. And then that's, they market that way. And then on the other hand, they have huge list of investors, you know, several hundred to thousands of, you know, long, you're an independent wholesaler, but a lot of these guys are big companies with tons of money behind them. And they are marketing companies. And, and so you have to just understand when you get an email and I mean, I've made this not mistake, but I mean, I'll send something to Tavis and like, Hey, I saw this. And you know, uh, this is the reason why this is not a good idea. And a lot of times, <laughs> I mean, I've bought, I bought from Tavis, which is a wholesaler, my Richardson house, I bought from a big wholesaling company. So it can definitely be done. You just have to kind of know, um, where that money's coming from, but it does like I, you did touch on a point. And if you're wanting to get involved in real estate investing, to me, there are, let's see, there's, there's four steps. There's basically four parts of it. There's the acquisition. So if you can find a property, maybe it's a one-off deal. You know, your neighbor, your family member doesn't know how to sell a house. Um, you're helping, you're just helping somebody out. If you can find a deal and pass that to somebody who knows what they're doing and can flip it, you don't have to touch the thing. But if you can tr- help transact that, you can make money, and that is real estate investing. That's wholesaling. You know, the other part is actually managing the project as, a, as actually doing the flip. Um, you have the financial part of it. You can just get involved and just be the money guy. And then you have the, the actual real estate, realtor, buy, sell part of it. If you want to, you can specialize in helping out investors, helping them find properties, helping them sell properties, and there's, there are certain things that they like. So those are the ways that you can dive in. You don't have to be perfect at all of them. You probably won't be perfect at all of them. You won't be that well-rounded. But to your point right now is if I think, you know, and this is why a lot of those late night classes deal with wholesaling. If you can find a deal, you can be in business because I was talking to Tavis recently, you know, he's talking about scaling his flipping business. What is the, what is the, the, the thing holding us back from scaling a flipping business from doing two or three at a time to doing 10, 11, 12 at a time. And it is deal flow. You'll hear the word deal flow. And it is how many deals can you get in that door that meet your buy box? And if you can figure that out, you will make a lot of money in real estate for sure. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Um, probably for today. I don't know if you, you can tell, but we, we have a lot to say about this specific topic and flipping and if you are interested at all in real estate investing, but flipping specifically, this is your spot. You know, we're going to be putting out these more detailed uh, ways to flip. And honestly, I'm going to bring you along on my journey because Tavis has really taken uh, an interest in the flip I'm doing right now. I bought that house from him. It's in a great neighborhood that he's done work in before. So I'm basically bringing you along in a lot of the, the conversations that we're having off camera, um, where he's helping me make these, these small decisions, these big decisions. Don't make this mistake. We're going to 
talk about timing and sequencing and how to stack trades into the house and the things you, you definitely want to rehab and don't worry about this. And you might want to spend extra money on this, but you can cheap out a little bit on this. Like all of those conversations, we're going to get into um, the finer points of, of flipping. So that being said is if you have any questions about stuff we've talked about, there's a term we use that you just didn't even know about. If there's something that you want us to, to elaborate on, please reach out, you know, uh, drop a comment in the, the YouTube or uh, you can get us on Instagram. I can always be found on Instagram. I'm the Dallas real estate guy. I'm also on Facebook and I'll be active on our, our YouTube channel as well. And if you have a house that you know about, you want to dive tomorrow, you want to dive into real estate and you've never done anything before. I promise you, if you have a house that is uh, anywhere sort of north in DFW, Irving, Richardson, Dallas, Plano, Frisco, Colony, anything like that, and you reach out to myself, Tavis, he will show up tomorrow and walk that house with you and, and help you run the numbers because he's definitely looking for houses to flip. And uh, as soon as I finish up my Dallas one, I will be too. So Tavis, if somebody has is sitting on a house that they know for a fact you would love to flip, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, and um, you didn't mention it, but I mean, I would say DFW as a whole, and even all the way up to Sherman Denison area, uh, you know, is, is kind of where our buy box is now, uh, Fort Worth, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, any anybody can find me. Fortunately, there's not a lot of Tavises out there, but it's uh, Tavis, uh, like Travis without the R, Tavis, T A V I S. Westbrook is the last name, and uh, you can find me on Instagram or follow me on Facebook, etc. And um, feel free to message me or reach out in any way you can. We'll make something happen. That's for sure. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Check with us for the next time. We will see you Friday.